Welcome to Trawler Talk, the official podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. If this is your first time here, welcome, and if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts is the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, it's time for our podcast. In this episode of Troll Talk, we meet Jim and Kuki Leeshaw, who tell us about their time cruising north of the border in Canada's picturesque lakes and canals. The couple embarked on a three-month, 1,600 nautical mile cruise last summer that started in the Erie Canal and made their way through the Thousand Islands Archipelago, the Redo Canal to Ottawa, the Trent Severn Waterway, Georgian Bay, and Lake Huron before they re-entered the United States and proceeded to Lake Michigan. The couple who live in South Florida are planning on returning to the area this summer and made plans to leave their boat near the border over the winter so they're ready to go. Their stories of navigating approximately 99 locks, of docktails and locktails with other friendly cruisers, and working with the excellent staff at Parks Canada who maintain the locks and moorage there made me want to drop everything and head up to our neighbor of the North's inland waterways, which are renowned as some of the most beautiful cruising in North America. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Why don't you start to tell me about your experience with boating before you decided to do the Great Loop? Sure. Um, I'm 59 years old. I've been uh, on or around boats pretty much uh, my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuki and I have been married about 30 years now. We met at one of the local uh, yacht clubs after a regatta. Um, I, had a, I had a racing sailboat, and actually our first date uh, was just the two of us on, uh, on the sailboat. Um, and uh, she decided to go out on a second date with me even after that. <laughs> uh, her experience is a little bit different. A true test. I grew up in Bogota, Colombia, which is about 8,500 uh, feet above sea level, and the biggest body of water that I had growing up was my bathtub. <laughs> so <laughs> that being said, I had no experience with boating or handling a boat or in the open ocean whatsoever. Well, so you've been married for three decades, I believe, right? Yes, almost 30 years. Okay, great. So you're doing something right together and you've been boating for a lot of that time together. So why don't we start by, um, so you, you know, you've done a bunch of things, I'm sure, on your boats, but then you decided to do the Great Loop. How did you decide and how, what was your decision to do that? Uh, Cookie likes to say that we're accidental loopers. Um, if, if you read the, the forums on the on the Great Loop, there are people that spend years uh, planning. Uh, I can tell you perfectly honestly, and I'm not exaggerating, that our decision was made in a conversation that took less than a minute. Um, we had uh, we had brought our boat up north. Uh, we, our our children are now out of the house. Um, we had we had brought our boat up north, um, spent the summer up in New England, and we were on our way back to Florida in the, um, in the fall of uh, 2021. We were going through the, uh, the Long Island Sound, mm-hmm. and Kuki said to me, you know, we, the boat was moving. We were, I was up on the flybridge, said, you know, we uh, have no real reason that we have to be back in Florida. It's still hurricane season. Why don't we do something else? And I said, like what? She said, I don't know. She said, what about the Great Loop? 
And honestly, we'd never even discussed doing the great flute. And I said, you really want to do it? It's, 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 it's going to be all of next year as well. The boat won't make it back to Florida this year. And she said, yeah, that sounds like fun. So literally, we turned the boat towards the Harlem River um, and into the Hudson River. And we, uh, we found a last-minute spot uh, where we put the boat into a, um, a heated indoor facility uh, in Brewerton, New York, which, mm-hmm. is on, uh, which is on the Erie Canal about 20 miles or so uh, off of Lake Ontario. And that was our start of the loop. Wow, wow. And then what year was that that you, did, you completed the Great Loop? Well, we haven't. We, we're we're still doing the loop. We haven't we haven't completed it. So uh, we left Key Biscayne in March of uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, spent several months bringing the boat uh, and that really nice slow trip um, on the ICW and through the through the Chesapeake, um, and then up into New England, which is not technically part of the Great Loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we spent, um, we, as I said, we put the boat uh, into storage on, on the Erie Canal, mm-hmm. uh, picked it up uh, last, uh, last May, spent um, the entire summer on the Great Lakes, uh, mostly in Canada, but a portion in, uh, on Lake Michigan, in both Michigan and Wisconsin. And we left the, uh, the boat this past winter also in a, in a heated indoor facility uh, in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, which is on the Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan. The plan is, is to finish, uh, finish the loop this year. Great. So you're, you're doing the loop in sort of fits and starts. And uh, I might give you the reward for the slowest person to do the loop, which I think is on par with the person that does it the fastest. Uh, there's something to say about both of those. One of the things that, that we've seen is um, you know, we, we've met people that swear they're going to do the loop in, um, in a month, and we've seen people that, uh, that, that, that take their time. And I, and I think that the more time you have, the more, uh, the more opportunity there is to, to sit and relax and um, see as many places as possible uh, to avoid uh, difficult conditions, which, which makes the trip a lot nicer. So we feel lucky to have to, to have had all this time. And I think uh, another uh, another difference between the regular looper and us is mm-hmm. that most of the loopers wait a lifetime to do it, and they basically sell what they call the, their their land uh, their dirt home, dirt home or land something, and and they moving to the boat. So. That being said, if it's winter, they're not going to be up there, or they don't have the luxury of putting the boat away for the winter time and coming home, and then retaking the 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 loop. So in our case, we've planned for the better part of cruising to be up north, and then come home and travel in the in the winter time. Mm-hmm. And you're based. Tell us, you're based in. Uh, we talked earlier. You're based in Key Biscayne. Is that right? That's that's right. Okay, great, great. So I'm going to ask you to talk about your vessel for a minute, and then we're going to talk about last summer's itinerary, which you told me was, and I'm going to quote you, to stay in Canada till it got cold. So could you tell me about your boat first? Yeah, right. Got us a little bit of trouble. Yeah, go ahead. Why don't you tell me about your boat first, and then we'll go to the second part. Sure. Um, our boat is a, um, a, a 2005 34-foot uh, PDQ catamaran. Um, most people, when they when they when they come on board the boat, they, they, they see a thirty four or they hear about a thirty four foot boat and they think, oh, that must be fairly tight. Um, you've got to see the PDQ 
um, in, in order to believe it. It's it's got a 17 foot beam, mm-hmm. um, even though it's only 34 feet. Um, it's got two staterooms, each with uh, queen bunks. It's got multiple seating areas, a, a dining table that will comfortably um, seat uh, seat eight people. Um, it's um, it's a super stable, super efficient boat. Mm-hmm. We have uh, t- we have uh, two Yanmar uh, 100 uh, turbo diesel engines. Okay. Um, our cruising speed is about 14 knots, and at 14 knots, we're only burning about four gallons of fuel per hour total, not wow. per engine. Really efficient. So uh, another advantage is is that you you really don't need to. Uh, to, to, to focus, a lot of people say, well, if I go here, I'm going to have to burn this much fuel. At, at four gallons an hour, at 14 knots, uh, you're, you know, that, that's, that's not really a, a concern. Um, and um, we found one of the things on the Great Loop, we're rarely traveling at 14 knots. I would say that our typical speed in Canada was somewhere um, at trawler or, or just north of trawler speed, uh, somewhere in the um, in the seven to nine knot range, mm-hmm. um, just because of the practicality of uh, of of uncharted rocks, um, uh, going from from sixty feet of water to two feet of water in in, in fifty yards, uh, th- things like that. So for us, this is this has been a great boat for the loop. Another advantage, by the way, is that we carry an eleven foot rib with a 20 horsepower uh, outboard on it. Um, we carry two kayaks. And uh, for this trip, we're also traveling with, with two bicycles. And we don't feel at all cramped. Wow, yeah, it's a lot of room. I actually spotted a PDQ in Anacortes. I was there some time back last week. And I, I think it's almost like an un- it's immediately recognizable, the boat. There's not many catamarans that size that look like that boat does. Um, it's definitely a unique boat. We we bought the boat brand new um, from the factory up in Canada in mm-hmm. 2005, and we're we're one of the uh, few original owners of of the PDQ uh, catamarans. Oh wow, yeah. So let's go back to your summer last summer's itinerary, which got you in some a little bit of hot water before you even got going. So. Uh, I'll let you tell the story about what you said to the, um, I think it was the uh, immigration or was it the border patrol? Customs and immigration, yes. Okay. We left the Erie Canal. We um, we spent a couple of nights in um, in Sackets Harbor, New York. And then from there, we entered the um, the, the, the Thousand Islands and went into the town. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pronounce it wrong because you'll end up correcting me, but Gananoque. 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 Okay. Um, which is sort of the, um, the, the, the capital of the uh, Canadian portion of the Thousand Islands. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we, we went into a slip, and um, there was a phone number that, uh, that, that we needed to call. We used the ArriveCan um, app, which is the Canadian government's app, um, but we still had to call a phone number to check in. And I spoke with a very, very nice woman um, who, um, who started by asking us how long we were going to be in Canada and trying to be honest and trying to get her to give us as much time as possible because we honestly, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I told her our true intention was to stay until it got cold and we weren't quite sure when it would get cold. She said, no, I need a date. And, and without joking, I said, uh, can you tell me 
about what time of the year it gets cold. Um, and it turned out that she was on the west coast of Canada and never even heard of Gannon Oakway. Um, and uh, she then, I think probably because of my answer, or the, the uncertainty about how long we were planning on staying, she started asking me a lot of very, very specific questions. She said, well, do you have any food on board? I said, yes, we've got just food for, for the two of us. Well, can you be more specific? Um, well, uh, you know, we've got sort of what you'd expect. We've got, we've got meat, we've got chicken, we've got eggs, we've got vegetables. I said, well, how many eggs do you have? So I, Cookie, who was in the shower, I tell Cookie, how many eggs do we have? You know, about nine. And so I tell her about nine. Well, can you be more specific? And she actually made me count the number of eggs. And I think we're at either eight or 10 or nine um, and on and on and on. And finally, um, I got the feeling that she was trying to stall us. Um, and, uh, and finally, she said that there are two customs officers on their way to, to inspect the boat. Uh, you're not allowed to leave uh, the boat until they arrive. So we, we, went up on the flybridge and we watched and we saw them, we saw two customs officers pull up and they were looking for us. They were going on the long dock. I wanted to get off and tell them, but I didn't want to get yeah, off the boat. <laughs> yes, we were told not to. So we sort of waved them down and they, they came over and they were very nice, very friendly, um, uh, more friendly after they had searched the boat. I mean, they made us, they, you know, they were law enforcement officers. They, they, they were, they, they were, they were carrying guns. They, they asked us to get off the boat. They kept their distance from us until they had searched the boat. And it was a very cursory search, not really looking through anything, but sort of op we could see them opening up some, some cabinets. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, um, they, they, they told us that when I asked that the reason that they were sent down was because of my answer about not knowing exactly how long we're going to be in Canada. So I, I, I learned my lesson. I think so. <laughs> oh, wow. What an experience. And, uh, I'm glad you got over that. And then, uh, I guess you were on to the, is that the thousand islands from there? Or is that, that's the New York part where you just north of that, right? No, that's the Canada part, and yeah, it's the beginning of the Southern Islands. So I think it's a few nights there. Oh, great, great. What what was it like there at that time of the year? Um, it, it was gorgeous. We were clearly the beginning of the season, but the nice thing is is mm -hmm. that um, there were very, very few cruising boats um, that, uh, that, that, that we ran into. Um, uh, the Thousand Islands is, is actually um, closer to 2,000 Islands, um, and most of them are either completely uninhabited or have what, what the locals call cottages okay. um, on, uh, on the islands. And, and a cottage in, in Canadian talk can be anything from an old fishing shack uh, that doesn't even have electric to a, um, to a very, very large uh, mansion um, with, you know, some some built um, in in the earlier portion of the 20th century, some mm -hmm. much newer um, that that has or appears to have from the outside pretty much every every luxury uh, you could ask for. But the the area is gorgeous. It's very natural. A lot of the islands, most of the islands that don't have cottages on them are um, are are under the supervision of Parks Canada. Uh -huh. Which is their version of, of of the National Park Service, yeah. and they really do a tremendous job in um, in maintaining the the, the islands and, um, and 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 trails on the islands and and leaving firewood. So if you want to start a fire, and they've got mooring balls on a, on a few of the islands and docks on some of the others, they they, they really do a, a, a wonderful job. 
Sounds and amazing. One thing that we learned there is that mm -hmm. um, they have uh, firewood in all of the islands because in Canada, you're not allowed to carry wood for burning uh, from one town to another. Oh. I don't remember. Do you remember the reason they, they didn't they no. didn't allow that is because of pests or because of something. They want to uh, preserve the areas so you're not allowed to carry it. So okay. every island that is in parts Canada, they have uh, wood burning um, uh, sites and you can buy the wood and it's the honor code. You just put your money in a little basket and take the wood. I'm noting, be as honest as you can to the to the uh, immigration, the um, sorry, the border patrol, and do not bring wood when you travel. <laughs> Two things I'm going to do if I ever do this exactly. trip. Um, tell yeah, me, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned. Right. I'm glad you mentioned Parks Canada because you did in a feature you wrote for us talk about the Parks Canada Pass, and I wanted you to sort of explain that, you know, if you could. It's actually two passes. One of them mm -hmm. is, is called a, a, a mooring permit, okay. and the other is, is, is a lock permit. Um, and uh, we, we bought both. Um, in order to, to spend a night um, or even to tie up at one of the Parks Canada docks or, or the Parks Canada mooring, uh, you're required to have a mooring permit. And you can get a one-day permit, a one-week permit, or, or a seasonal permit. And for us, it, it clearly made sense to get the uh, the seasonal permit. I don't remember the cost, but I think that it was about um, five or six dollars per foot. So we paid less than two hundred Canadian dollars, uh, which is probably less than one hundred and fifty U.S. dollars mm -hmm. um, for for the mooring permit. And not only did it permit us to uh, to tie up there, but as you through the the various uh, the, the various canals, the Rideau Canal, the, the, the Trent Severn Waterway, um, what most of the boats do as they traverse the canals are they, they spend the night not in marinas, uh, but, in, um, but, but tied up to the, the lock walls or, or the, lock, the lock docks. And um, in order to do that, you need the um, you, you need the mooring permit. Okay. So we we spent uh, I, I haven't calculated. Maybe you have Kuki um, the number of nights, but I'm guessing we we probably spent about um, forty or fifty or more nights uh, at um, at Park Canada you know, walls or, or or moorings or docks. Mm -hmm. Because we because of the, the the waterways that we went through, um, and we paid about one hundred and fifty dollars for that right. You also separately need a um, a Parks Canada uh, pass to go through the the locks, mm -hmm. um, and that's a separate pass. And the, the cost is fairly similar. And again, you you can buy a day pass or a week pass or a seasonal pass. Yeah. But with all the locks that we went through, we 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 clearly got our our money's worth with that as well. Sure sounds like it. Uh, so you mentioned the Riddell Canal. Can you tell me about that leg of the trip, what you guys liked about it, besides the uh, ease of um, tying up to the, you know, the canal walls and, and spending the evening? Yeah, the, the Riddell Canal is something that it's not part, technically part of the uh, Great Loop. Yeah. But it's definitely worth doing it. It's really a beautiful passage that it starts, I believe, in Kingston, Just outside, outside of Kingston, of Kingston, Kingston Mills, yeah. and goes all the way to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And you 
can either, once you get to Ottawa, you can either go down a flight of seven logs and come back through the Lawrence Seaway, or go back the same way, which was really nice. It takes about 10 days to really fully do, do the, the the Rideau Canal. In a single direction. In a single direction. It's, it's about 50 logs. Uh, that are some of them are originally from 200 years ago, and they still operate the same way by hand. Yeah, it was super interesting. Um, every lock, most of the, the canal system itself was was, was built when um, when the um, the Canadians, the, the the English and and the French were getting ready. I guess more the English uh, to get into uh, the War of eighteen twelve with the United States, and they, so it was built in order to to to, to get supplies to uh, to Lake Ontario. But most of, I th actually, I think all of the locks are still hand operated. So um, they have literally a big metal wheel um, attached to chains, mm -hmm. and they've got a, a large group of um, high school and college students, predominantly, uh, who sit there and and man. Uh, the, and man the locks, and they have to open and close each one uh, by hand, and they do that regardless of how hot or cold it is, regardless of, of, of how stormy it is, um, and they're wonderful. One of the things that, that was particularly interesting about the, about the locks to me is that the, the, the lock tenders don't have VHF radios. Okay. Um, they do have cell phones, and, and they publish the cell phone numbers, but there's really no reason to call them. Um, the, the the protocol is you pull up to what's called the blue line. The mm -hmm. portion of their dock is the blue line, and if you, or has a blue line painted on it. And if you tie up there, it means that you're getting ready uh, to go through the lock. But um, they refuse to open up the lock, and I say this in a nice way, um, until you've come up, you've talked to them, they've asked you where are you going, where have you been, where are you from. Um, they compliment your boat, uh, uh, and uh, and only after that will they will they open up the, the lock. So it's really it, it's a lot of fun, and we've, mm -hmm. we met a lot of very very nice people along the way. I bet, I bet. And also, for the most part, the same lock master in the first lock, it's the one, the same one that tends in the following lock and the next lock. By cruising, it might take you fifteen twenty minutes in each one. But for them, by road, is five minutes away. Wow. So they close one, and they jump in their car, and they drive and wait for you until the next lock. <laughs> and they give you local knowledge. They'll um, they'll tell you it wasn't so much an issue for us because we were so early in the season. But um, if you tell them that, oh, I'm planning on spending the night at, at lot 12, they'll tell you, oh, it's much nicer above lot 12 or below lot 12. Or they'll call up to lot 12 and say, is there room for a 40-foot you know, boat? Um, and uh, the people couldn't have been nicer. Actually, one one funny story: the very they they're great with local knowledge with restaurants, but the um, the, the first lot coming from Kingston is the Kingston Mills, and we spent the night. Uh, just before the lock on on their wall, and there was one other boat there, and, and an older couple, and um, the the man had apparently been cruising the Rideau Canal. I think he told us that this is his 14th straight season wow. on the Rideau Canal, um, and he gave us a lot of interesting information, and and he said um, he said you go in first, and and then we'll go in. When the lockmaster arrived later that morning and came out for the morning chat. Uh, he he told me that that I should go through second. I said I'm fine going through either first or second, but 
this other man had said that I, that he really wanted me to go through first. And the lockmaster looked at me and said, I'm going to give you some advice. He said, he comes through here 10 times a year. Um, seven or eight of those times, he loses control of his boat. Um, you do not want to be in the lock when he's going in or out. Yikes. Um, so let him in, go in first. So I told the other man, I said, you go first. I was told the lockmaster, and after a friendly discussion, he finally agreed to go in first. Sure enough, he went in, and his boat ended up sideways in the lock while they you know, got lines out and moved him around and up against one of the walls. Huh. You'd think at this point he would get the hang of it. He, he was a little bit older, uh-huh. um, and, and he had a number of dogs, I think, that, that, that got in the way. Sounds like a comedy of errors a little bit, but uh, yeah. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you took the advice of the Lockmaster. Today's Trawler Talk podcast is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts from 58 to 115 feet. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now let's get back to our conversation. Next up was a long portion of the trip, the Trent Severn Waterway, which is about 240 miles, I believe. And uh, some people blast through it, but I think you said you took your time. Yeah, we did. It's it's actually an amazing experience because you get to go into every single lock that exists in the world. Wow. You have lifts, you have hydraulic lifts, you have the the world-known big chute mm-hmm. uh, railway and everything in between. Uh, it's super nice. Uh, a lot of little towns that that's nice to, to, to discover. And that's why I don't know how long it would be normal cruising to go through, but we took it very slowly and we stayed two or three nights in places that we liked. And... Uh, it was it was very interesting. One of the highlights of of, of the uh, Trent Severn Waterway for me is that it's really the first place that we got to meet a lot of the the, the, the loopers, the, the 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 great loop people are called loopers, mm-hmm. um, and they all have the great loop burgee. We had one on our boat, um, and um, by the time we were going through the Trent Severn Waterway, we were sort of I, what I would call uh, towards the height of. The, of the great looper of the loopers so we we really got to meet a lot of people um some of whom we became very good friends with and, and still talk to um a number of which you run into day after day or maybe not see them for a month and then you run into them a month later and and remember each other and have and have dock tales or as they're called when you're in the lock uh lock tales uh <laughs> with them so uh, that, that that was a lot of fun i like dock tales and lock tales um I, I was intrigued by your photos of the big shoot. Um, what was that experience like? I mean, getting your boat up on that lift, and it's very different than going through a lock. Definitely. <laughs> it, we we arrived uh, the day before, so we were able to see how it it worked, uh-huh. and it was quite noisy and and and, and interesting. But then when I when we went through and I saw the pictures that friend of ours took and I see half of our boat hanging on the outside of the platform, if you call it, I thought if I had known, because you go with the boat, you go in with the boat and yeah. they, they transfer you with your boat. If I had known half of the boat was hanging out, I would have been panicking. 
I don't but blame the, you. The operators are. are the, the operators are tremendously professional. Uh, in order to get the highest level certification, we were told that it that you have to work there for at least seven years, um, and, uh, and they, they just they just know what they're doing. They they, they tell you exactly what to do, and and it's stress free. The photo of your boat hanging off, I guess it's for the drives and for the for the running gear, uh, so it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't sit on that. Uh, it definitely would, yeah. If I knew that was happening at the time, it would definitely cause some uh, a stressful moment. I would say. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> it, there's a there's a funny story about uh, the the big shoot, and uh, Jim, you want to tell about uh, sure. what the, happened? The big shoot um, had some issues uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had some labor they had some labor issues. Um, where a number of people just walked off the job, and they, they only had uh, three uh, three employees that had the highest level of certification. Mm-hmm. They've got very strict standards about depending on the size of the boat and the type of the boat. Some of them, you need two of those three to be there, or they won't lift the boat. Um, so they weren't letting any boats at all go through over 30 feet for about a one-week period. So they stopped even letting boats, you know, the, 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 the 30-foot-plus boats through the locks. Um we spoke to some friends that we, some people that we became good friends with along the way, mm-hmm. who were there waiting, and um, you know, a lot of people. There was no news on when the when when the um, the big shoot was going to reopen. Yeah. Um, they gave us some advice. They gave us the cell phone number of the man in charge, um, and they said that they had heard a rumor that they would be able to bring a catamaran through because it, it only requires one person with the highest level certification. So we spoke to him, and and he said uh, he said yes, that's true. He said just come on through, um, tell all the locks, and he gave us his name that you've got my permission. I said can you send me an email so in case they don't believe me? He said no, just tell them, give them my name. So we we arrived expecting to go right through, and um, it turned out that uh, the day we arrived, the uh, the one person with the highest level uh, certification. Uh, that was supposed to be there had called in sick. So hmm. uh, fortunately, there, there there was a spot uh, right there for us to uh, for for us to wait for for the night. Um, and uh, and they took us through uh, first thing the following morning ahead of all of the uh, the other boats that had been sitting there as long as a week that that needed um, that needed you know, a higher level of certification than we needed in order to get through. You must have looked like a real. Um... VIP pulling up, going right through, maybe waiting a day while these people were waiting for a week. <laughs> we, we got a lot of funny looks. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Pleased to have that no, local knowledge again. And then uh, after that, you were on to Georgian Bay, and I saw some of your photos from there. The Biosphere Reserve there looked just stunning, remote, um, and you know that has its. It must be amazing, but does it has its own share of challenges with you know refueling or provisioning? Uh, how did you manage that leg of the trip? Yeah, truly, Georgian Bay. I mean, you, you you speak to people around and people that have been doing the loop over and over and over, and they're in their fifth looper. Yeah, and they do tell you that you need to provision because it it gets really remote. Okay. And I thought we were really good planners because so many times we go to Bahamas to the to the really far away inhabited Bahamas. Uh-huh. But this is really for weeks, for weeks at a time. But but Georgian Bay, if you really need something, you will have to cruise three, four, five days, and then 
track for who knows how many hours to get it. Yeah. It's remote, and for the most part, the only things you're going to find is in little settlements. You'll find, like, a farmer's market with uh, a little bit of uh, fresh produce, uh, but that's about it. Ice cream. There's a restaurant yeah. called Henry's. Um, that's famous because the only two ways to get there are by boat or they have a separate dock just for float planes. Um, and people, people fly into, to Henry's to have a, a fresh, a fresh fish meal and, and ice cream and, uh, and fly out. But yes, you do, you do need to be, uh, you do need to be pretty self-sufficient there. Um, because the speeds in Georgian Bay is very remote, there are very few boats. Um, but even with that, you generally don't want to go more than seven or eight knots. Uh, you're not burning a, a lot of fuel uh, while you while you're in there. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and nav, how's navigating? Is I, I think you had mentioned there's some there's some rocks here and there. The water's mostly deep, but then there is some some rocks and some other stuff that is definitely some navigational hazards you'd have to look out for. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, there are there are three types of three or four types of rock that they that they have. There are uh, there are the rocks that are just above the water. There are rocks that are just below the water. There are the rocks that are charted. There's the rocks that aren't charted. Um, it's uh, it, it's that's the primary reason that, that you're going so slowly. I can't tell you the number of times that um, that I would ask Kuki to go down onto the bow of the boat. Uh, just, just to, just, just to watch um, ahead of us. Um, one of one of the funniest things that we saw is that in the, um, the there are very, very few marinas, and the marinas that are there are really designed for um, for boats. I would say under twenty feet, mm-hmm. um, you know, runabouts. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or at this restaurant, I told you about Henry's. Uh, the one thing that they that they have in common is. They all have a big display with 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 uh, with props that have huge dings or missing missing a full blade, <laughs> and they all have signs that say "prop repair services." <laughs> oh yeah, well they're in the right spot, aren't they? Yeah, we we were fortunate. We uh, we we made it through. We didn't we didn't hit anything. Yeah. But every once in a while on the radio, you would you would hear about a boat that had gone aground or. Um, or that had lost its its prop or bent a shaft or something yeah. like that. Happens to the best. Or is being pulled out in the marina to check the damage. Yeah, get pulled out. <laughs> that they they have done. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then after that, I think you went to Manitoulin Island, which is a little bit more um, signs of life. There were some small towns there that you visited that you really liked, and uh, could you tell me about those? Um, Manitoulin is um, it, it's it's supposedly the largest freshwater island in the world. In other words, the largest island uh, that's surrounded by freshwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't tell you the size other than that it's huge. Yeah. Um, there are a number of there, there are a number of towns, some of which are connected by roads, some of which um, aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, everyone has its own personality. Um, some of them are almost uh, exclusively uh, what, what they call in Canada First Nations people. Okay. Some of them have a, a, a ten or fifteen boat marina. Uh, some of them have a, have a larger marina. Um, some have a grocery store um, and, and some restaurants. Uh, some some don't. Uh, I think for the most part you can get ice cream in any one of them. 
Um, <laughs> generally, um, generally not a lot of tourists, but each one has its own personality and uh, very remote, very rural. Um, the people uh, in every single one of the towns that we went to could not have been nicer, more pleasant, uh, more welcoming. In um, in one of them um, was it Kagawang where we went to the um, the powwow. Yeah. Um, in Kagawang, which is primarily you know, First Nations people, okay. um, they uh, they they had what was apparently the largest powwow in all of Canada. That's a a, a, a meeting of of the, the First Nations people, um, and we were expecting we were invited by somebody who who lives in the town, um, and uh, we went expecting it to be very touristy. Um, it was anything but touristy. It was almost all. First Nations people, it's their opportunity to come and to see each other and to do do the native dances and the people who had moved away to come home and see their friends and and, and relatives. Um, it was it was it was just amazing how welcoming uh, everybody everybody could be. Um, some of the towns, I mean, Little Little Current um, is probably the, the largest of, of of the towns, and there there's a, a real grocery store. And, and restaurants and a fairly large um, marina, so you're able to reprovision uh, there. That's great. It sounds like a what a rare experience you had there to be able to see that powwow and uh, um, to be invited to that is a real treat. I can imagine. It was. Yeah, powwow. I had no idea even the meaning of a powwow. Mm -hmm. And then uh, talking to the locals, they said that they're they're for the most part they're little reunions with. Um, different uh, reservations but this one this particular one is the biggest one in Canada and it's amazing because the participation they're little kids four three four five year olds doing their their typical dances and then they're the oldest men and women in their full costumes uh, doing dances and uh, they compete and they pass knowledge from one to another it's really beautiful and yeah. they were I, I, I love photography, so I really wanted to take pictures of everything, and Jimmy said, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get in trouble, and so finally I approach uh, a mid-aged man, and I say, you mind if I take a picture, because the way you're dressed is so beautiful, yeah. and they were so proud, I mean, they, once once I talked to the first person, he's like, look, we do this, uh, because we're part of our heritage, mm -hmm. you're welcome to take pictures, I'll tell you about my, and they were all wearing animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you call the, the animal animal pelt? Yeah, yeah. Wow. it's really nice. I mean, for me, that was one of the highlights of uh, Canadian and uh, and and the indigenous culture. I, I can't I can't imagine it would be. I mean, what a rare treat uh, that you were treat you know be able to witness. Uh, and uh, I think you did tell me this earlier that the boat is still up north. So, um, what are your cruising plans for the summer? We left the boat for uh, for the winter in Sturgeon Bay. Our original plan when we when we when we started the summer was to continue was to continue the loop and to be uh, to be back in Key Biscayne mm -hmm. uh, before Christmas. Um, the we enjoyed Canada so much that we made the decision to leave the boat on Lake Michigan um, 
for, for the winter. Um, and uh, our plan is to go pick up the boat the first week of June. Uh, we're going to head back south through Lake Michigan, um, see more of Michigan and Wisconsin because that is also gorgeous. Visit some of the islands that, I mean, I think one of our favorites was Beaver Island. We spent about a week on Beaver Island, uh, largely or partially because of, of, of weather. Um, we got, uh, uh, we, we, there, were, there was a very, very large, uh, very heavy windstorm, and um, we wanted to wait until the seas died a little bit before leaving, but spend a week. We'd like to spend more time there. We're going to go back up into Canada. I don't expect that we're going to go into the Trent Severn Waterway, but we'll probably uh, spend most of the time up on the North Channel and, uh, and going through Georgian Bay before we double back and do the same trip in reverse um, south um, on Lake Michigan uh, past, uh, past Chicago. Um, and in Chicago, we'll enter the Illinois River and take that to through the you know the the river system, the Mississippi River, the the um, the, the, the Tom Bigby, et cetera, et cetera, uh, past uh, past Memphis, New Orleans, um, and into the Gulf of Mexico and back around uh, to Key Biscayne. But if you haven't noticed, our plans tend to change, and um, who knows if we're going to find some other place along the way that. Uh, that we decide we want to see again. You just might. And uh, remember that you should have a plan this time when you deal with the uh, Canadian border patrol. Just uh, keep that <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah, 90 days. Well, guys. I can wait. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today and um, enjoy your summer. Thank you, Jeff. It was very nice talking to you. Thank right. you very much. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts is the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels. <laughs>